What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on Squawk Pod. An open letter on AI. Tech leaders like Elon Musk are pushing for a pause on progress. And others saying it's all part of tech's game. Activate CEO Michael Wolf. You can't stop the forward march of technology. Anytime somebody's tried, they've lost. And Capitol Hill's bank hearings. The takeaway for building a better financial system with former Fed Governor Daniel Tarullo. Somewhere along the line, there was definitely a supervisory failure. The question that many members of Congress have raised in the last couple of days is whether there was also a regulatory shortfall. Those stories, plus former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz before Congress and L.A. taxes sparking a millionaire's sale. CNBC's Robert Frank. There is somebody who paid $450,000 in the metaverse to be by Snoop Dogg. I thought it was Snoop Dogg. I didn't want to say it because I wasn't sure if it was Snoop. It's Thursday, March 30th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off this week. House lawmakers uh, tore into some top U.S. bank regulators yesterday, a day after they were grilled by the Senate. Uh, Committee Chair Patrick McHenry, who we had on yesterday, yesterday said we need uh, competent financial supervisors, but Congress cannot legislate competence. And that set the tone for a hearing that focused in part on whether existing rules to prevent a crisis had been enforced. I don't think we need to look at more rules until we figure out which rules were not being enforced, what messages were not being delivered to the bank to be able to do your job. At that point, then we can take a look and see what we need or something else. But for you to make the statement, we need more rules and regulations, how about enforcing the existing ones first? We're going to be looking, as I said, at, at, at our own supervision under the existing framework. During the hearing, uh, lawmakers accused the regulators of lacking transparency, being asleep at the wheel, and having a light touch uh, with SVB, with that bank. Look, by the way, the heat came from both sides of the aisle, the Democrats and the Republicans. Nobody's happy with them right now. But I think this is a case where everybody is pointing the fingers at everybody else. Congress did relax the rules that allowed SVB to not be held to the stress test. However, the stress test, even if they had been held to it, were not looking at any of the right things. They were looking at declining interest rates instead of rapidly rising interest rates, which is what we had. And by the way, that was the Fed's own policy to be doing that. So the idea that one hand is raising rates at the Fed, the other one, the enforcement division, not even kind of putting that into the accounts. The capital ratios they looked at, it was risk-weighted capital, which didn't include duration risk. Yeah. And now we know in hindsight. So we, maybe next time, you, well, you know, can blame fool the OCC for allowing the accounting rules to say right. that you don't have to mark things to market if you're holding treasuries uh, and planning on holding them to the end. But no, fool me once. But, uh, there's going to be probably more credit contraction. And, and the regionals and the small banks are important. The whole idea of some form of uh, enhanced 
deposit guarantees for, for the uh, for for payrolls for for business interactions because places where you have to have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars right and and where you where it's actually important to the economy that those deposits are protected he says it all is tied into even the chips bill a lot of the things in the infrastructure bill a lot of that is going to be financed by medium and regional sized banks and you're going to have trouble doing it if if they totally can't lend at this point. So but that kind of plays into this next story, too. And by the way, we'll also be speaking with Dan Tarullo, who used to run things for the Fed for right. enforcement here. But the FDIC is facing almost $23 billion by their own estimates in terms of cost from recent bank failures. It's now considering steering a larger than usual portion of that burden to the nation's biggest banks. That's according to a Bloomberg report. Now, the FDIC has said that it plans to propose a special assessment on the industry in May to try and shore up its $128 billion deposit insurance fund. They have complete authority over what they do with that if they give a higher portion to the bigger banks, if they don't. The report says that officials behind the scenes are looking to limit the strain on community lenders by shifting an outsized portion of the expenses towards larger banks. And you can look at this 15 different ways. Um, Look, they, they don't want to create more stress on those regional banks. We're talking right now about the importance of the regional banks. That's where there seem to be a lot of these problems. But that also looks like it's punishing the ones who weren't as carried away with some of the bad risk enhancement situations to right. put the burden back on them. Simon, uh, he was IMF chief economist. That's what he was. Also uh, at the CFA Institute for uh, Systemic Risk Council. He was a co-chair. Um, the other the other issue with this, though, is, look, you can blame you can put the heavy burden on the big banks. You cannot do that. Um, the big banks are the beneficiaries of what we've seen from the run the from deposits. the regional banks, all the deposits going. And, and then they can turn around and put those deposits to the discount window at the Fed at five percent. So it would be a way to balance off some of these. But you're going to see some big fights that take place over this. And the Biden administration uh, is reportedly preparing a new wave of uh, rules in the wake of the collapse of Silicon Valley and signature banks. According to reports, the administration could announce the tougher rules for mid-sized banks with 100 to $250 billion in assets that could be announced as early as this week. The White House is expected uh, to task the Federal Reserve and other agencies with uh, creating the new regulations. Fed's already uh, been rethinking a number of its rules uh, related uh, to mid-sized lenders. Former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz answered questions before a Senate committee yesterday about labor practices at Starbucks. He faced a volley from committee chairman Bernie Sanders, who had been threatening to subpoena Schultz after he initially declined to testify. Were you ever informed of or involved in a decision to discipline a worker in any way who was part of a union organizing tribe? I was not. Have you ever threatened, coerced, or intimidated a worker for supporting a union? I've had conversations that could have been interpreted in a different way than I intended. That's up to the person who received the information that I spoke to him about. Senator Sanders and Howard Schultz sparred over negotiations with stores that have voted to unionize but haven't reached a contract. Schultz said that a direct relationship with workers is best for the company and defended the refusal to bargain with the union over Zoom. The, uh, we have strange bedfellows and strange enemies. I always thought that, you know, Howard has made a living being very uh, woke, if, for lack of a better term, for lack of a better term. And to see him attacked by his... He's been progressive. He's and getting eaten alive by his own people. 
Well, I mean, you know, at Christmas he's got the he's got the cups that don't have any, you know, they can't have anything that you know. It's got to be all generic. This is a company he's that done so many bizarre done, things. Well, he, yeah. they've they've given higher wages. They've paid for yeah. colleges for people going right. back. They've given. They've benefits. been part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. But I don't think there's, I don't, I don't think Bernie anything that's not, basically, uh, you know. Go ahead and say it. If, the C word. I don't think he likes. Uh, uh, the private sector. I don't. I, th I think he's not he a fan of that, capitalism. He will no, tell you that. No, he does not like capitalism. Oh. And I don't understand. I just that sort of ends the conversation for me right there. That that. But he's the chairman of. And the he was. There's an article yesterday. He he. Forward. A lot of his uh, uh, viewpoints were informed from his honeymoon, where he spent I don't know how many Russia. weeks in. Well, it wasn't it Russia was the then. Soviet it, the Soviet point. Union yeah. at that point. Kind of an odd choice for a honeymoon. I don't know. I'm not. You know. Where he honeymooned, but yes. Tiberia sound nice to you in the winter? No, and there's an American journalist who was just picked up in, in Russia today, right? Uh, and held on espionage charges. I don't. Know. I, I said I tweeted crazy. out yesterday. Oh, I don't know. I love Vermont, but I don't. Could he get elected anywhere but Vermont? Some wealthy uh, residents in Los Angeles are racing to unload their high-priced homes before a new uh, tax takes effect. And some are pulling out all the stops to try to get the deals uh, done, from offering discounts to even including some luxury cars in some instances. And uh, Robert Frank has that story. Hey, Robert. Good morning, Joe. Well, this new mansion tax in L.A. would be the highest in the country, and it starts on Saturday. It's a 4% transfer tax on the sale of properties over $5 million and 5.5% on property over $10 million. That's on top of the existing transfer tax. So if you sold your home for $20 million, you're going to owe a new tax of $1.2 million starting on April 1st. The seller of this home in Beverly Hills, listed by Dream Living L.A., is offering a new Aston Martin, McLaren, or Bentley if you come up and pay the full asking price of $16.5 million. By the way, you got to close before Saturday. Brokers Josh Altman and Jade Mills are offering a $1 million bonus to any agent who's going to bring them a buyer for this $28 million home in Bel Air. The real estate industry is saying this tax is not going to raise the expected revenue and it will drive more wealthy Californians to lower tax states. The high-end market already under a lot of pressure here. Sales volume for luxury homes in LA falling by 51% in the fourth quarter with prices down about 5%. This tax also applies to commercial and multifamily real estate sales. In fact, the largest share of this tax is expected to be paid by commercial real estate, especially office and retail. And guys, that could pose even more problems for all of the empty office space in LA right now. So they're putting a lot of pressure on the high-end market as well as the commercial market. Guys? It's, it's with a sale though, right, Robert? So if someone's just bought a beautiful mansion and they're gonna live in LA for the foreseeable future, are, are they concerned? They're not. Uh, and, and as you know, Prop 13 makes it uh, sure that their property taxes won't go up once they own a place. So right. um, this only applies to sales of buildings. It's essentially a transfer tax on top of a transfer tax, just like we have here in New York that was passed in 2019. Uh, this is, was expected to raise money for the homeless problem and affordable housing. But you're right, it only affects sales, not ownership. 
Right, they tell me we got to go, but since you're <clears throat> such a genius on, on all things real estate, I was going to ask you about, you know, whether I should sell all my, um, all my real estate in Decentraland. Uh, it's down 90%. Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking what, when, Becky, when Becky was talking this morning about the, you know, the celebrities, there was somebody who paid $450,000 in the metaverse to be by Snoop Dogg. I thought it was Snoop Dogg. Uh, I didn't want to Snoop, say it because I wasn't sure if it was Snoop. Uh-huh. Yeah, but Snoop the, was given Snoop the house became like oceanfront in the metaverse. Everybody yeah. wanted to be near Snoop Dogg. And somebody paid $450,000. I don't know what that's worth today, but they might want to try throwing in a virtual Ferrari or Bugatti. Maybe that'll help sell it. But yeah, that market <laughs> down 90%. That your avatar could drive, sort of. It, it's all, it, it, I, and when I questioned it, people laughed at me and called me a boomer. Uh, but not me. Do, are there clothes, does the it's emperor have any? It's real estate. Huh? It's in Decentraland. It's it, real estate. There's a it's realtor. Real estate. <clears throat> there's a, yeah, there's a realtor called We Meta that like, do they have real estate? <laughs> Do they have real estate agents that like show you around and stuff? I mean, come on, really? They is do. This they do. In fact, I interviewed two two brokers that had uh, opened a shop on the metaverse, hoping to sell real estate, and they expected to do a billion dollars in transactions at some point. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think they're sticking with real estate for now. Oh my! Man, I hope that the emperor's in shape. I hope he's not puffy with a lot of cellulite because he's got no, or she, empress, I guess it would emperor be. Emperor is a man. Yeah. It's a man. All right. Well, they, it, it, he's really, a lot of naked emperors around. They, the tides goes out, and there they are with the, the, all their junk. All right. Thank you. Uh, Lady Godiva. Lady, <laughs> Lady Godiva. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, former Fed Governor Dan Tarullo on what went wrong with Silicon Valley Bank and who's at fault. I do think, though, that a stress test that involved every bank over $100 billion every year with multiple scenarios would help. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Whether you're watching us on, uh, on regular cable or on Peacock with streaming, I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. Uh, can we do that every time? Maybe we should. Let's get to the fallout over the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Reports say that the White House may soon call for tougher regulations on midsize institutions. 
Joining us right now is former Federal Reserve Governor Daniel Tarullo. Dan, of course, is also the former oversight governor in charge of supervision and regulation of the banks and was responsible for implementing Dodd-Frank. So, Dan, tell us what went wrong here. What happened? Well, Becky, I think the one thing we know is that there was a supervisory failure. Um, we don't know yet how much of that was due to the message from Washington that was going out to the supervisors around the country. That is the, sort of the light touch, uh, require a higher threshold before you push hard in the banks. But somewhere along the line, there was definitely a supervisory failure. The question that many members of Congress have raised in the last couple of days is whether there was also a regulatory shortfall. And I think, as as uh, you all were just reporting, that's what the White House appears to be about to address. Did, did deregulation have any impact on this? It feels like there's a lot of places you could lay some blame. I, I don't know if the deregulation of some of the Dodd-Frank laws would have actually changed anything just because even if Silicon Valley Bank was exposed to the stress test, stress test wasn't really calibrated for what's happening now, higher interest rates instead of lower interest rates. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right, Becky. I mean, I, th I think it was, look, I think one thing we did learn, if we didn't know it already, was that the premise of that 2018 legislation, which is that the mid-sized banks as a group are not systemically important, was misplaced. Uh, and we saw that rather graphically a couple of weeks ago. You are absolutely right about the stress test. I mean, it even if even if Silicon Valley had been in the stress test for real last year rather than their dress rehearsal, with the scenario, I think they would have come out just fine. But what does that point us to? That points us to the fact that the stress test has become a compliance exercise. It's become eminently predictable. And you know, Becky, I would be surprised if there weren't some, if there hadn't been some voices in the Fed over the last several years saying we need to be testing for increased interest rates. But just as supervision generally, I think the stress test has, has just weakened over the years. Whose fault is that, Dan? I'm just trying to think of solutions. How do we fix this? Is you need more regulation? You need a tougher message coming from Washington that, that they need to take these rules and regulations very seriously? Well, for, yeah, for sure. For sure on supervision, I think. And, and, you know, this is hard because supervision is not something that is written into the legislation in the sense of you should be 90 percent tough or 60 percent tough. Um, it's just a function which Congress gave to the regulators. I, I do think, though, that a stress test that involved every bank over $100 billion every year with multiple scenarios would help. But, Becky, there's, there's another point here which comes up every once in a while. We, the, the business model of these midsize regionals, you know, between, I'd say, 50 and $250 billion, is under a lot of strain, I think. You know, we've known about community bank business model challenges for quite some time now, but I think we're seeing that the importance of scale uh, has had its effect on these mid-sized regionals. So as we go forward and as we think about what kind of regulations would be directed at the mid-sized uh, banks, I think it's really important to make sure that the, the additional regulation is targeted to actual vulnerabilities. Uh, because if you keep layering on GSIB type regulation, those banks are going to have an even tougher business model to face. So absolutely, got to make sure that they are insulated from their vulnerabilities. But I, I wouldn't jump to the other side of the room and say, well, let's just import everything we've been doing for the GSIBs. 
Dan, I think you've probably seen uh, some of the things that uh, former Fed President Honig says. He says it's, it's just really simple. It's about capital, and it's about real capital, and you can't do risk-weighted capital. So just make capital requirements higher. Don't allow, you know, don't um, gloss over the fact that some of it's 10, 15, 20 years off. If interest rates rise, then that, that needs to be marked. And, and instead of using risk-weighted capital, just put in real capital requirements at higher levels. Would that just kill the, the banking industry or the, the, the smaller banks? Would they not be able to do anything uh, if they hit? Go yeah, ahead. the smaller, I mean, actually, across the board, generally speaking, truly small banks have higher capital levels because, because they don't have access to public markets. But I would just say capital is, of course, central to the stability of the banking system generally. Um, how one measures capital. I mean, I, I do think that the principal approach to capital regulation ought to be an attempt to measure the actual risks that a particular bank faces, not just the leverage ratio. Leverage ratio is an important backup, but you do have to try to risk weight. The problem, of course, is that nobody gets risk weighting right 90% um, of the time. That includes the banks and the regulators. And that's why, for example, in stress tests, you should have multiple scenarios that test different kinds of things. Um, I, but but I, you know that capital is core for sure. But look how this crisis started. It started with the classic runs on banks because of very large proportion of very large uninsured deposits. To me, the most striking revelation in the hearings over the last couple of days is the size of the deposits of those 10 biggest depositors at Silicon Valley Bank. 13 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And, and here we've just got to say, well, wait, what is the funding model of these banks? Uh, are we going to allow 80 or 90% of their deposits to be uninsured, really large, and eminently runnable? So $13 billion were basically bailing out 10 companies and or individuals. Um, the FDIC is now facing a whole of what they estimate to be $23 billion. They're going to have to do a special assessment where they raise money from the banks because that's how the FDIC is funded, not from taxpayer dollars, but from money from the banks. They're discussing, apparently, the idea of putting higher fees on the big banks, not the small banks. And I can understand the need for that if the small banks are so stressed, but it also looks like they're going to be punishing the people who had better risk management uh, in favor of the people who had worse risk management. Does it, I, there's so many things that you can go back and forth on this, on, on how this should play out. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I think, well, I, I don't know. I heard the same thing you did, Becky, which is um, the, the, the idea, the working proposal seems to be to um, impact mostly larger banks. I'm not sure that I picked up where the line for larger banks is going to be drawn. Uh, you know, is it going to be drawn at 50, 100, 250, or the GSIBs? But your question raises uh, the point that I was mentioning earlier. Um, what, are, what are the viable business models here for banks of different sizes? And, you know, I said last year when people were rethinking merger um, policy for the banks, we, we can't just sort of go one by one. What do we think of this merger? What do we think of that one? We need to have a view, that is the government needs to have a view of what the banking system is going to look like in an era in which there's increasing competition from non-banks. Uh, and we have to ask the question, are banking mo business models, for example, for 50 or 60 or $100 billion banks, 
so under stress that we need to be have a somewhat different view of mergers among them, for example? Uh, if the answer is no, they're not, okay, but let's have a view of what bank business models are viable and make our both regulatory and merger decisions based on those. And honestly, a lot of the decisions that have been made unintentionally have helped the big banks. All of the flight of the deposits went to the big banks who can then turn around and you know, borrow from the, the, the window at the Fed um, at a higher rate than par. Um, well, and and look, the the I don't think the the irony has not escaped a lot of people that the most regulated banks, the strongest regulated banks, have actually been the beneficiary of the deposit flight. Um, now, one cannot necessarily jump from that to the conclusion that regulating every bank down to the little community bank as as toughly uh, would would give them a business advantage yeah. as well. Dan, I'd but, say it's not it's not the regulation, though. It's just that these are systemically too important. So they're going to get bailed out if something goes wrong. Well, may, you know that there's an assumption of that. But also look at how look at their liquidity and capital and resolution plan requirements. And the, the chances of them failing have been diminished substantially. Uh, and so, yes, do we expect that they're going to continue and that the that the Fed would not allow the entire banking system to collapse? I think we do. But just as we saw in the fall of 2008, the flight to J.P. Morgan, uh, because J.P. Morgan was rightly considered to be the best capitalized bank, of the yeah. major banks. I think we're going to I think we're seeing that to some degree right now. Dan Tarullo, thank you very much, sir. Sure. Good to be with you. Next on Squawk Pod, the AI open letter that went viral thanks to signatures from Elon Musk and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. Are we giving AI too much power? Media and tech expert and former president of MTV, Michael Wolf. There's so much that's already going on from AI. The industry is not going to regulate itself and all it's going to do is hold back development. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Zach Valisi. Yesterday, a letter signed by AI researchers and tech executives, including Elon Musk, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and others, called for a pause in the development of AI tools to give the industry time to set safety standards. Here's Becky with more. Last night, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, who also signed the letter, spoke to Brian Sullivan on Last Call and laid out the dangers. There are going to be people with different goals and different ideologies that get a hold of these tools and then use them for their own ends. And so you could wind up with a cacophony in our information environment where you don't know what's real. You could have fraud and identity theft at a scale that you, you right now can't even imagine. Uh, you could have someone call you on the phone impersonating a loved one and it's AI and it's indistinguishable from reality. 
Yang said there should be a dedicated AI regulatory agency or framework and warned that right now the world is relying on creators and users to self-monitor. Joining us right now to talk more about it is Michael Wolf. He's the co-founder and CEO of Activate. He's also a former Yahoo board member, and he served as the president and COO of MTV. Um, Michael, this is a pretty scary kind of place that Jerry Yang just laid out on some of these issues. Yeah, I mean, I'm it, sorry, it, Andrew Yang. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what's there's also another side of it, which is a little little much. They're saying it's we're going to reach the end of democracy and uh, and human interaction. And if you look at some of the points they make, they're they're concerned about misinformation, but they're also in, in, concerned about the world being um, ruled by non-human minds. Look, the one thing I will say is this is signed by people like Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak, who believe the rules of the road in Silicon Valley about move fast and break things. But if they're concerned about it, it gives me pause yeah. for thought on this, too. The, yeah, but, but the idea of being able to break into your bank account or trick you into thinking different things, it would be nice to have everybody come together and kind of talk about the rules of the road before we get yeah. down on it. I mean, first of all, six months is not just an eternity. It's a road to China's superiority in, in AI. And I mean, if we're concerned about the development, it all takes place in the context of an arms race between all of the technology companies around artificial intelligence. And so the idea you take a pause, that the industry would self-regulate, that's unrealistic. And, and you don't really want the government to be yeah, in Congress tech. can't. I, I saw uh, Congressman Auchincloss, uh, he's in Massachusetts. Jake, yeah. yeah, Jake. Say that we have no role here. We can't pass a. Can you, what would a law look like that says you need to take a break for six months? But they're not saying take a break in terms of development. They're saying take a break in terms of rolling this out so that we can come together you know what, and agree on. But standards. like Michael said, the, 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 the people are going to try and get a leg up, and the, if it's not a, a strict requirement to, to not do so, there's, there's going to be people cheating, and they're going to because it's an arms race. Right. They, they do say they don't want they want anybody to continue to train AI beyond the professional version of ChatGPT. Right. And, so, um, and, and so I think that this is, this really, it's unrealistic. There's so much that's already going on from AI. The industry is not gonna regulate itself, and all it's gonna do is hold back development. I mean, so Michael, you say we, there's no cause for concern, though? Yeah, I mean. Uh, we, we, no, we don't need hunter killers like Terminator where the machines are controlling. That, it, we're not talking about that, although that's possible down the road. We're talking about what, the ki what our kids are seeing on TikTok now is bad enough. Yeah, and, 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 if, and, and can you imagine if it was uh, exponentially worse in terms of deep fakes and fake, you know, it, it, Twitter already, uh, the, the, the debate goes on and on and on about what we should allow and what we shouldn't allow. This is just going to make it worse. The, the deep fakes are already, are already here. Be even the better. misinformation. Deeper. But, I mean, but there's some real Fakier. flaws. Well, there's some real flaws in these programs. First of all, they were developed, they really don't have much history at, before 2021. They use questionable sources of information, Wikipedia and others that you know can't be verified. But so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of problems, but it doesn't mean we need to stop. The second you stop, you, you lose. Can't. It, 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 I just think it's good to, to put it on the radar. Don't you wish in terms of biotechnology ethics and, and caution that maybe we, we right, which had the Chinese haven't followed any of the guidelines. Exactly, that gain either, of function but. research. I mean, did did we learn anything we, in we, the last two years? Yeah, we, we we did, but at the same time, this is an area where it's not it's not like it's victimless, but at the same time, I don't think you can hold back 
what people, what people are using. You now have 100 million people using ChatGPT. You have 13 million a day. And that just seems like such a defeatist argument, only because right. it's, it's hard to do it, so. it's too much, so just let it all fly. I mean, there, there should be somebody who's talking about the rules of the there's road. There's a lot Whether, of fentanyl coming in, we can't stop it, what are we gonna do? Right, but there's, a, there's another thing, pausing for six months versus as an industry getting together and figuring out a way that they can create standards and self-governance. There's a difference between that saying, let's stop, let's stop development. Right. And, and that's specifically. But I don't think they were saying that exactly. They were saying continue working on some of these things, but stop rolling stuff out to the public. Yeah, no, but 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 that's part of it. But they're also saying like we need to six months before we train systems to 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 be more um, sophisticated than than what's out there today. I mean, I hear your point. I don't think a pause of six months is going to fix any of this. You look at how long it's taking to figure out how to regulate crypto. I, I hear your point. I just feel like we should be striving to come up with some sort of oversight or some whether it's self oversight or something beyond i just feel like this is an issue that has huge implications and i wish we had some forum for dealing with it if, if as much as you you want the industry to self-regulate you certainly don't want the government in it michael well, i had 15 other things i wanted to talk to you about but this one drag us on for a little bit hard to argue with that when did you to turn into a libertarian. That's good. I like it. I mean, I think that, that you, can't, you can't stop the forward march of technology. And no. so any time somebody's tried, they, right. they've lost. Right. Good. Thanks for coming in, Michael. Michael Wolf. That's the pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right to your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 